Well, here we are in his presence once, once again. What a, a, a great time of worship this morning and, and singing. The Lord is uh, moving uh, here. As we uh, continue in our, in our study, if you want to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, and before we get right in, into the text, One of the hardest things for a, a person uh, to do is uh, to admit that they're dirty. To admit that uh, they're really sinful. In fact, uh, Jesus said that men refuse to come to the light because their deeds were evil. And when we come into the light, there's this exposure of our sins. And so instead of coming into the light and allowing the Lord to expose the things uh, in the light between us and the Lord that need to be rightly uh, dealt with, uh, we, we try in our own uh, depravity to, to clean ourselves up. And the truth is we can never clean ourselves. And so without Christ, we sit in the darkness, as it were, in the slop and in the mud, and we stay in this state, uh, trying to clean ourselves, constantly rubbing dirt all over us, moving the dirt around our body, staying in the darkness, staying in the slop, and, uh, and not coming to the light. And as uh, children of, um, of human nature, we're, we're scared of, of walking into the light. We're afraid of God. We're afraid of his holiness. We, we fear him, so we, we, stay, we stay away from him. R.C. Sproul wrote a children's book called The Lightlings. And in this book, he depicts people like us that stay in the, in the darkness because they're, they're afraid of the king of light. And that's, that's who we are. And yet instead of admitting that fully, and it's not just a matter of saying it, yes, I'm a, a person of darkness. And by the way, the hardest a person to speak to that is in this state and yet doesn't understand that they are and is more hardened and more willing to stay in the darkness, listen carefully, is a, is a person who says they're a Christian and they're not. That, that, is the hardest, that is the hardest person to, to speak to about the light and about the darkness and about be, uh, deeds being evil and about a sinful nature and about all these things because they already think they're okay. They already think they have the script down. And the Bible tells us that there are going to be many in that day who come before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And not only did they go to church, but they cast out demons and they did all sorts of healed the sick and all sorts of different kinds of things in the name of Christ. Of course, Christ was the one doing the work. It was Christ who was, who was, um, who was the one in power, who was the one in charge doing these great deeds. But they're thinking that it's because of themselves. They're thinking that God is actually working in them. And yet the scripture tells us they don't know Christ. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in the church seats who think they're Christians and they're not Christians. Who have never been truly broken of their sin. 
Oh, they might say things like, yes, I admit I'm a sinner. Yes, I've done wrong things in my life. They, they know the, the sinner's prayer, so to speak. And by the way, leading, leading somebody in a sinner's prayer often does people a great disservice. It, it, it pads the ego, makes people feel good, sometimes makes preachers feel good uh, about themselves. Recently, I was at a, a funeral a number of months ago, and at the end, we gave an altar call, and it was incredible how many hands went up. And I don't know how many people actually really got saved. And it's, it's easy, it's easy to, to get people at a certain point just to raise their hands. It's easy to get children to say prayers. Get a child to say almost anything. You can get a, a young boy or a young girl to, to give their lives to Christ, and they don't really even understand what's going on. That's not to say people can't get saved at a young age. They can, and they do, and they often do. But we're, we're talking about people actually understanding uh, their own filth and uh, their own wickedness and their own, uh, their own dirt in their heart. And until a person actually says, woe is me, I am really undone before God. Uh, I'm, I'm the problem. I'm the issue here. My relationship with the Lord is not broken because of everyone else. My relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his Father, the God of all, is broken because of, because of my own sin. And until a person does that, they, they tend to justify themselves. They tend to try to make themselves clean and uh, scrub themselves, and it doesn't work. And so the Bible tells us that what we need to do is we actually need to give up on ourselves and any trying to scrub ourselves through obedience to law, thinking that we can somehow get right with God by staying in the pigsty and just continuing to scrub away, scrub away, scrub away. And the Bible says that's not how we get justified before the Lord. And people who do that on that last day will find themselves in a terrible, terrible situation because they have never really understood their own heart. May I ask you a question? Have you ever come? Have you ever come to a place in your own life where you understand your own brokenness before the Lord? Have you ever wept before the Lord? Have you ever said, Lord, I'm sorry for me? Have you ever understood the weight of your own sin? And have you ever really given up on yourself and given up on whatever law that it is that you're following? Maybe it's the law of indifference. Do you know how many people are indifferent? The sin of indifference. That's a law that people follow. I don't need to, I don't need to really worry about this stuff. Everything's okay. And they just walk blindly along, just blindly along in, in their life. Nothing really ever changes. They just think that they're, they're fine the way that they are. People are 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years old. The great sin of indifference, and it's, a, it's affecting so much. People are trying to follow certain standards in their lives. Their, their parents said, if you're a decent person, if you're a good person, that, that should suffice. If there's even a God out there, that will, that will make it for you. 
So just do your best in life. People who are still living under some kind of law of Christ even in the church, they're saying, I know I've got to do this. Jesus taught this, and I know I've got to do this, and I know I've got to do this. And every day they're trying to conform to some standard, but their heart is far away from the Lord. Their heart is far, far, far away from God. And so they've heard it. They're not under the law of Moses, but they have heard the law of Christ preached clearly. Perhaps it's a father, a mother. Perhaps it's a preacher. Perhaps it's somebody, a friend, somebody that they know. And they have heard these things before, and they're trying to conform. Listen, if you're trying to conform to the law without actually giving up on the law as the means of justification, you will become a miserable person. Miserable because all along, you're going to be dragging your feet, going, I'm trying to do this thing, and I don't really want to do it. And in your heart of hearts, you know you're not with it. You're not with it at all. And if Christ came today, you wouldn't be ready. You wouldn't be ready. Because you haven't given up on the law as a means of your righteousness before God. And Paul comes along in this text, and that's exactly what he is telling us. He is telling us that we must abandon any standard that we think, any standard in our lives that we are trying to adhere to in order to gain acceptance before, before the Lord. You turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We'll start with the um, end of verse 16, because this is where he is... Uh, flowing with his argument here, he says, because by works of law, as we saw last week, that's not the law, that's just works of law, no one will be justified. No standard. No standard. You say, well, I'm going to obey the standards and get right before God. You'll never be able to meet those standards. Then he goes on further with this argument and even deeper. Verse 17, he says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now let's go through this and what Paul is saying here. The first thing he's saying there at the end of verse 16 is, We must give up on law. That's what he's saying at the end of verse 16. We must give up on the law as the means or the grounds for any justification. Now, for the Jewish person, this was a, a big deal. And he's specifically here talking to Judaizers. To give up on the law was, was huge. Jews are taught from the time that they're young, Orthodox Jews, those who still believe in the Old Testament, that the way that you get right with God is by living a righteous life. This is huge. If you talk to a, a Jew today that is trying to follow the Old Testament teaching, they will tell you repentance and faith, that alone gets you right with God. They'll say, absolutely not. So a person can just believe whatever they want to believe and just believe in Christ and then just go on and live any way that they want. They, they would say, absolutely not. They would say, listen, this is the way you get right with God. You've got to live a, a righteous life. You've got to do your best. That's the teaching. And there are many people under this teaching. Of course, 
many Jews who are still trying to follow this. And so they think, I've even heard a, a rabbi get irate about this, mocking simple repentance and faith. He says, absolutely not. It's by the things that you do, the things that you do. If you're good enough and you're faithful enough in life, God looks at you and he says, that person is faithful. That person is a decent person. He has tried his best to follow my law. And as a result of that, I stamp that person approved. I declare that person justified. And oftentimes they would even say that about the Gentile. As long as the Gentile, that is the non-Jew, is trying to do his best or her best, he or she will make it. God will say, that's a good boy. That's a good girl. And there are lots of people who are living this way even in the church. Obedience to the law. Trying to conform to a, to a certain standard. And it's not working. And Paul says this. Paul says you have to give that up. You got to give it up. You got to give up any thinking of saying, I've got to do this. Got to do that in order to be justified. For a Jewish person, that was a, that was a huge deal. That's what they had been taught their whole life. Now Paul is saying, listen, you've got to give up that kind of thinking. You've got to stop thinking that way. You'll never be right with God by trying to follow the law according to your own power and in your own strength. But he goes on to say, here's, here's what you do do in verse 17. He says you must pursue Jesus by faith. By faith. So we come to an end of ourselves, and this is what he is saying. We must all admit, as Jews and Gentiles, we are we're sinners. We're sinners. Paul says, when I, when I preach to you, the preaching came with uh, full power, came with full conviction, person being cut to the heart. And only God can open the eyes. Only God can open the eyes for a person to see that they're really not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their justification. But perhaps they're trusting something else. Perhaps they're not trusting anything at all. Perhaps they're just going through the motions. Perhaps they're just playing the game of Christianity. It's a great danger uh, today in our society. This We just play Christian. We just, we just go through the motions. God is saying through his, his apostle Paul, he's saying we have to give up any kind of thinking, any kind of reliance upon the law, any kind of reliance upon a certain standard in order to be justified. He says you have to really give that up. And so we come to the Lord. This is, this is a, scary, uh, a scary point in our life. We say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. Luther said this. Luther said, we have nothing to offer the Lord but our own sin. That's it. So we, we come before the Lord. This is scary. We're going, Lord, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say that's going to make me right before you. I've got to put all of that aside. I've got to move all of that to the, to the back. I've got to completely reject any kind of thinking like that. And trust in Christ. Of course, the question was, if this is how you believe, is Christ then sinful? And he goes, may it never be. Listen, Christ 
is the most pure? He says, certainly not. Christ is the most pure. Christ is the most holy. He is the pinnacle of righteousness. He is righteousness himself, never has sinned. And so when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are, we are believing on the Holy One of Israel. We are, we are throwing ourselves completely at his feet. Listen, we come into the light. Come into the light today. Come into the light. You say, I'm scared of the light. So I've been, I've, been trying, I've been trying to do things in my own strength, in my own power. And the Lord is saying, come into the light. Be healed. Come into the light where you're going to be justified. Come and cling to Christ alone. Come to an end of yourself. That's what he's saying here. Christ is not a servant of sin, certainly not. Now he goes on to verse 18. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. A transgressor. He says, listen, he says, if I'm, I'm going to pursue the law, those who do pursue the law prove by pursuing the law that they're not justifiable. The person who says, well, I'm going to just go ahead, I'm going to obey God's law, and he's going to accept me for me obeying his law, he's going to see that I can keep the law. Paul says, no, no, that's not what happens. They're not, they're not going to be justified. But they stand as condemned sinners. So the person who thinks, oh, this is going to be a terrible thing to give up my reliance on the law, Paul comes along and says, if you don't give up your reliance on the law, you don't set aside, in this case, the Mosaic law, you're actually going to be found to be woefully sinful and utterly condemned. That's the point. So I'm going to cling to I'm going to cling to these things, and um, of course, there's people in, in Protestant churches that are clinging to certain traditions and uh, certain ways, and they think if I just continue to cling to this this building or this place or whatever the case may be, then everything is going to be okay. I've also, and I'm sure you have also talked to many Catholics. It's not it's not just faith in Christ alone. Uh, but it is it is doing something also. And Paul is saying you've got to give that up. That is a very scary thing to do if that's what you've been raised in. That's what you've been taught your whole life. That's scary. Scary for a Mormon to give up everything. I've been I've been preaching in the in the nursing different uh, nursing homes. And there's this there's this lady, I'll say her name because she'll she'll never be here. Um, but her name is Mary Louise. And every week I go around and I shake their hands and I say goodbye and until next time, until next Tuesday. And so I, I get to Mary Louise and often I'm shaking her hand. She says, listen, she looks at me and she shakes her finger. She says, I have two sons. They're both men now, grown men, probably even older than I am. And she talks about how they have uh, they've lived a decent and good life, and she talks about their careers and how they've they've had wonderful uh, careers and and uh, have li uh, lived good lives. And she says, "Listen, the reason is is because I I pray to the Blessed Mother every day. Every day I pray to the Blessed Mother. And usually I just say, well, it's sure good to see you, Mary Louise, and." Uh, God bless you. And of course, 
They hear the gospel every week, just like we're hearing it today. So last week I'm finishing up, and I'm leaving, and the group has grown. There's more and more elderly people coming. There's this wonderful worker there named Anna, and she just she just brings all these people. And when Anna came, it, it the whole thing changed, and she's she's a saint. And it's amazing how many distractions there are when the word of God starts being preached. Unbelievable. I can be talking about, you know, what a great morning it is and all this kind of stuff. And as soon as I start talking about Jesus Christ crucified, all of a sudden workers are coming, talking loudly. By the way, not much respect for God's word. It's amazing. I marvel at that. I marvel at that. Listen, if I, if I was walking by and it was a Catholic priest, I, I would, I would um, quiet up. But there's no respect. Even just there's a sense that respect is going out uh, more and more. And I'm not talking about respect for their message, but just respect even for the, for the person. But as, as I'm leaving, I see Mary Louise coming after me. She can't run. I don't know. She's probably in her 80s, so she's, you know, like this. And, and I'm walking out. She goes, Pastor, Reverend, whatever, I need to speak with you. So out of respect for the fact that they were now going into the next phase of their day, which was current events, and they like to hear the current events of the day, I asked if Mary Louise would step to the side of the, of the room and tell me what she wanted to tell me. Now, we had not been talking about prayer necessarily. I'm sure it was interwoven, but that was not the subject. And she said, listen, I want to, I want to tell you something. She says, I have two sons. And I raised them right, and she said, you'd be amazed at how they are doing today. I don't know why she wants to tell me this. In fact, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, is this, is this the influence of the enemy here? And uh, do, you, do you remember in the, in the New Testament in Acts, there was a girl that followed Paul around? You remember that? Okay. So I, I'm talking to her, and she says, then she looks up at me with her finger, and she says, and I pray the rosary, and I pray to our blessed mother every day for those boys. And I finally said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak. So I said, Mary Louise, I want to show you something. So I turned to the place in, in, in two places in the New Testament where we have the Lord's Prayer. I opened it up. Of course, she was familiar with this. Luke and then Matthew. Slight different variations, but I opened it up, and I said, Here, here's what Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray. Mary Louise, Jesus taught us our Father, who art in heaven. She goes, I know, I know, I know. She goes, but we can pray to Mary too. I said, no, we can't. No, we can't. So let me show it to you in a second place. Backed up to Matthew. Our Father, art in heaven, went through the whole thing with her again. And at that point, she started to get it. She didn't receive it, but she got it. She got what I was saying. I said, Mary Louise, the only person we pray to is our Father in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son. That's it. That's the only way. Well, listen, this is what she was entrenched in probably from the time she was a little baby. And we all have our traditions. I don't care what church and 
we can say that the Catholic Church is outside. It is, a, it is an apostate church, absolutely. But we have people that are raised in traditional settings, even within evangelical churches, and they've never been cut to the heart, never been cut to the heart. They've never really given up on themselves. And this is, this is and Lord, help this, help this come to a life in our spirits, that we have to come to an end of ourselves an end of trusting anything, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair. You ever seen a despairing person? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. They're hopeless. You ever been hopeless in, in relation to your, to your relationship with the triune God? That's, that's when salvation begins to start. Go, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And there's this, there's this breaking that begins to happen. And that person is going, there's no out here. I'm cornered in every way. I've been cornered by a holy God, a holy God. And um, what, a, what a profound experience this is. person says, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, okay, I'll, I'll receive Jesus. Uh, you know, now you lay me down to sleep, Lord, I thank you, you're my Savior, amen. No, 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 no. No, no, no. But Mary Louise is a good person. So-and-so is a decent person. So-and-so really believes they're okay, and they seem like an okay person. Paul is saying, no, no. We have, we have Abraham as our father. He's our father. The hardest people Jesus spoke to were people who thought they were okay. And only God can break that. God, only God can break that indifference, that hardness of heart, that glazing over of the eyes that says, I've heard this before, I get it, and yet they don't get it. It's interesting. Often people who are in the light, they get that another person who doesn't get it is walking in the darkness. And so we pray. We, we pray for light to come. Because only, only as we are in an environment where the Holy Spirit, this is why when we pray we're dependent on him. Holy Spirit, you've got to do. You've got you've to make these things come to life. What Paul is saying here is absolutely, it's your word. We believe it. But God, unless we experience, as we talked about earlier today, unless we experience this, Lord Jesus, we have not, we have not truly seen, we've not truly seen you, we've not truly seen the light. Now that's what Paul is saying next. He's talking about our utter hopelessness. That's what the law brings. Look at verse 19. For through the law, in this case with, the, with those who are Jewish, for through the law I died to the law, so what is he saying here? He's saying through the law, this law that people think is going to assist them in their endeavor, the law is going to assist them, show them the guiding light in the way to salvation, and they're going to be able to obey it. Rather, the law brings a right hopelessness. It kills us. It slaves us. That's what he's saying. We died. We died under the law. What, what, does, that, what does that mean? He's saying the, the law has condemned us. The law has shown us our sin. The law has 
shown us our hopelessness and has shown us our despair of being, of being justified through it. But what it does is it gives us an opportunity now. We are despairing of our ability to be made righteous or declared righteous, rather, declared righteous through the law. And we should come to a sense of great despair and we should say, but how, how can a man be justified then? You're wrestling. And you know a person is wrestling with God when they can't get away from conviction. They can't get away from it. They hear something that sticks with them. And nobody, no, no preacher, no pastor can manipulate this, make this happen. No, no Christian, no mature Christian can make this happen. It's just the Holy Spirit. person begins to wrestle with this, and they're in their room alone, and they're going, I am hopeless without God. I really am. I'm hopeless. And they begin to think about that. How do they, have you ever wondered how you came to Christ? Was it fancy preaching? Was it a fantastic show? How did, how did you come to the place? You, you have people all around you that have no sense of conviction. They'd rather be home this morning in bed and, and preparing for the NFL today and fighting over who's going to kneel and all that kind of stuff. They'd rather be doing, doing that. But here we are, and many of us, Lord willing, have wrestled with the Lord, and it's because through this simple preaching of the gospel, he arrested our hearts. We have been utterly changed. A.W. Pink was, was not a, he became a, a wonderful pastor and theologian, lived a, a very sad life in his, in his later years. But he wasn't saved. He wasn't saved as a teenager. And he was out living a, a, a reckless life. One day he came home, and as he was headed up the stairs, his dad said one thing to him. He said, his dad quoted from Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. He said he went to his room. He couldn't get away from that couldn't get away, and he began to wrestle with God. As we've been talk, talking about this struggle with God, and you need to have a struggle with God if you've never had one before. If you've never wrestled with him, if you've never thought about these things, if you've never thought about your, the, the fact that the law brings hopelessness and the law should bring us to a place of despair, then may the Lord use a verse like that or another verse that, that begins to cut to the heart of where we, of where we begin to say, oh my, I, I need to begin to think about these things. And that's the beginning. That's, that's the makings of a Christian. That's how a Christian comes into, a being, into being. And you, you can talk with somebody else for a very short time, and if they're a Christian, you know that they're a Christian. You, you get it. You go, this person, this person has an understanding, not just up here, but they have an understanding within the heart of the gospel. So if the law brings us to a place of death, if the law has slayed us, the question is, how are we going to be justified before a righteous God? Look at what he says. This is one of the most quoted, memorized verses in the New Testament. He says, here, here, here's, how, here's how a person is justified. 
He says, I have been crucified with Christ. When, when Christ got nailed to that cross, listen, he says, I got nailed to that cross with him. Not physically, but spiritually. I died with him. I, uh, I can't do this on my own. I need a representative in my place. I need somebody to carry, as we heard earlier. I need somebody to carry my cross for me. I need somebody to get up on the cross for me. Somebody who's perfect and somebody who's righteous. And Paul says, it's not me. He says, don't you understand? It's through the law that you've died. You need somebody to come in your place. And he says this. Here, here's how I'm going to be justified. It's not me, but I've been... I've been crucified with Christ. When those nails were driven through the wrists of Christ, they were driven through me. They were driven through me. I died. 2,000 years ago, Jacob died. He died with Christ. That old man, all that sin, all my sin was put upon his shoulders, dead with Christ. I need him. For I have been crucified with Christ. He says, here's the way I live. Not according to the precepts of trying to follow and obey the law. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The risen Christ. He lives in us. You know, the, the scripture says that the same power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells within us. What a promise. What a promise. You believe that this morning? That the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And we see in the scriptures, all three were involved. The, the Bible tells us the Father raised Christ from the dead. The Bible tells us the Son raised uh, himself from the dead. He says, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to take it back up. And the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. He says, this Spirit, the Spirit that anointed Christ, the Spirit that empowered Christ. He walked in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says that same Holy Spirit resides in you. This is an utter miracle that happens. He releases us. He, he, he brings us into a church service and we begin to hear the gospel. We begin to despair, rightly despair. Woe is me. Somebody begins to break. I'm a lost sinner. I can't do this. You say, how, how am I going to do this this morning? How am I going to... How am I going to be right before God? Throw yourself on Christ. Throw yourself on Christ this morning. Throw yourself at Jesus' feet. He'll take care of everything else. All we do is we say, we can't do this. When I'm preaching, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just preaching to people. If, if they don't know Christ, I'm preaching to, to dead people, to dry bones in the valley. And, and only, only Christ, only Christ can come and speak through this simple message and awaken our hearts to life, to life in Jesus. To life in Jesus. This is uh I really this really happened. Jesus died for me. We sing that song, Jesus loves me. You know where we get that from? This verse right here. Let's keep reading. Notice what he says. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live or who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh that is in this sinful body that continues to sin. This idea you can be sinless in this life, not true. You're going to sin. 
Now, thank, thank the Lord we sin less. We pray. That's, that's the sanctification process, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. But he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Here it is, who loved me. Who loved me? Jesus. Jesus loves me. Where do we get Jesus loves me from? Well, we know the Bible says, for God so loved the world. God, of course, uh, God loves the world. That's what it says in John 3.16. But that's specifically talking about the Father, isn't it? Because it tells us he sent his only Son. But we know if the Father loves us, the Son must love us. And it says it right here that the Son loves us. Who loved me? Who loved me? Jesus loves you. He's alive. He loves you. That's why he gave himself for you. So you can live. You ever, you ever think about that? The fact that Jesus loves you? You sing it. You've heard it taught. But he's your refuge. He really loves you. And he really died for you so that you might know life. That's what it says there at the end of verse 19, so that I might live to God. So, so what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus. Now the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. There it is. He gave himself up. He has the power to lay his life down. That's how the law brings hopelessness. How do we have this opportunity to live for God in Jesus Christ. Now we close with this. Look at verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, if, if you don't need grace and you don't need Jesus, you can just do it on your own. As Orthodox Jews will tell us, if you can just do it on your own, why do you need Jesus? If you can just pray to the Blessed Mother and do some good works, why do you need Jesus only? You say, well, I kind of still need Jesus. For what? Grace plus? Works plus grace? No, 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 no. You say, well, if I'm a good person, I'll be okay. Then what, then what did Jesus come for? Why did he need to die? Why did he need to live in my place? Why did he need to die in my place? I don't need Jesus if I can do it on my own. But my sin was so costly and so devastating in bringing us to such a place of desperate hopelessness that the only remedy for that was to send Christ for our sins. That's profound, friends. That's profound. That's the only way to God. Through his son Jesus. Hmm. I hope you experience that this morning, that Jesus loves you. I, I hope you don't have a, a picture of Jesus that says, if you're doing good, Jesus loves me. Just when I'm good. And aren't you thankful for that song? Jesus loves me when I'm bad. Though it makes him very sad. Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. Jesus loves me. He loves me all the time. He loves you all the time. You say, well, he's, he's really mad at me when I do bad. He, he loves you. He loves you. 